All right, so what, what movie is that, everybody? Dumb. Dumb and Dumber. Don't bother with any of the sequels. They're pointless. Just watch the original. It's great. Um, let's turn a couple of those lights back on. So this morning, I want you to think about, um, take just a few seconds. You don't have to share anything, but just think about what is the difference between optimism and hope? Is there a difference? If there is, what is the difference between optimism and hope? See, I, I, I'm going to suggest that so much of what our world casts as hope, right, even a scene like that, and uh, if I probably survey just a random, you know, smattering of people out there, they might say, oh, yeah, it's a dumb hope, but he has a hope. You know, I think that that's actually just optimism, right? Optimism says that we see the odds And we can envision a scenario where our circumstances could end up working out for the best. Okay, that's optimism. It's like Lloyd Christmas, that's his name, I thought that was perfect, uh, for this time, in Dumb and Dumber, right? Lloyd's odds are quite low, right? Not even one out of a hundred, more like one out of a million. Okay, but Lloyd still envisions the slight possibility that the circumstances are going to work out in his favor. Right? And optimism, it's a really noble quality. It's good to be optimistic, right? There's actually been a lot of scientific research about this, and the data um, kind of tends to suggest, there's no like, causation yet, but there's a correlation. It tends to suggest that if your personality is more optimistic, you have a much like, healthier and happier life. Like Your stress level is way down. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want less stress, healthier life? Right? So optimism is a noble quality. But here's the thing. Hope Biblical hope is different, right? Because optimism doesn't hold you when things fall apart. Optimism depends on that turning of circumstances, however slight they may be. It depends on that turning of circumstances. And circumstances, as we all know, they're not a solid foundation to stand upon. Um, But biblical hope, it's different, right? Biblical hope surveys all the circumstances... It sees the odds, acknowledges them, and then says, forget it, and looks right past them to something larger, something truer, something more solid, right? Because hope has its foundation on Jesus. Our hope has its foundation on Jesus. Hope hears, like, the really hard questions that you have, and it believes that there's going to be a future where all those questions have a perfect answer, even if we don't see that possibility at all right now. Hope doesn't try to feel good. In fact, oftentimes, hope is really, really painful. But because hope is rooted, like we said, in the unwavering truth of Christ and the truth of his mission, which is a mission of restoration, including us, who we are from the inside out, hope holds us true even when we are surrounded by total darkness and there's zero odds that anything's going to turn around in our favor. Hope still holds true. So this morning on our Sunday of of hope, um, we're going to look at two Hebrew words found in the Old Testament um, that are most often used for hope. Okay, We're going to do a little word study this morning. It's going to be really fun. Um, I like this professor role. It's kind of fun. So our first word we're going to look at is kava. Everyone say kava. Kava. Kava is a Hebrew word. It's actually related to the word kav. Q-A-V. And kav, what a kav is, is a cord or a rope. Okay? So kava expresses this image of someone pulling a rope and there being tension. And you have an expectation of release. 
Okay? Or, to maybe make it even easier, kava is this. If I pull these strings tight, create tension, what do you expect is going to happen when I release it? Sound. Right? You know it. You know it's true. It's going to happen. That's kava. That's kava. It's leaning into the tension, expecting that something is going to happen. I just realized I brought my guitar this morning just to do that. I could have just used Scott's guitar. But, you know, there's kind of this unwritten rule that you don't touch other people's guitars. So, Scott, I'm with you. Um, here's the thing. Kava hope, this is what's called an active hope. All right? It sets things into motion. It's a posture of leaning into the tension. Right? It's a posture of having expectation for resolution. This word is used many, many times throughout the Old Testament, mostly in Psalms, and then really it's used everywhere in Isaiah. So we're going to look at it a few times. It's looked in Isaiah. Um, and, and as we read this, I want you to notice um, the other words that's surrounded by and how it always like, is surrounded by action and motion. Okay? So Isaiah 5. He dug up a vineyard and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he expected, he hoped, he kavod a harvest of good grapes. Okay? Or like Isaiah 8, I will desperately look for you, Lord, who has hidden his face from the house of Jacob. Yes, I will hope, I will kavod in God. Or Isaiah 40, those who hope, those who kavod in the Lord will renew their strength. They will everyone soar on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not be faint kava is an active hope it sets things into motion a kava hope means that even when things are dark and dreary right even when all the circumstances around you show you that the odds are stacked up against you Right? Even if you feel totally paralyzed in the situation that you're in right now, God may ask for you to choose a hope in Him by just simply doing something. God's saying, okay, here's where you're at. Like, acknowledge what's going on. Acknowledge the circumstances. Now, the hope I want you to express in me is to just simply do something. Do something. Kava hope sets things into motion. Right? God may be asking you to set up that meeting. Take that call. Start that business. Eat with that person. Right? Give that woman your car. Take that man into your home. Pick up the phone. Call your sister. Call your brother. Start that process of reconciliation. Sell the house. Move the family. Run for public office. Take the side of the oppressed. Whatever it is, like do something. Do something. Family, Advent is all about living in this tense expectation that Jesus is setting things right and eventually his promise will come true that everything will be restored, redeemed, and set right. We know the end of the story, right? I've talked about this so many times. When we're following Jesus, we are a people of the future living in the present. We've seen tastes of what's to come and now God's asking us to, by some weird way, usher in that future glory into the now. And, uh, and, and whenever God asks us to do that, that's an active hope. Right? I think I say, Isaiah says it best um, in chapter 2. 
Um, I just have a little bit of it up there, but I'm going to read kind of the whole phrase. He says, in the last days, so Isaiah is talking about this great coming of Jesus for the, you know, the last time, like we're all experiencing during this Advent season. In those last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on the earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, his word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, and that's you and me and anyone who has been born again in Jesus. We are descendants of Jacob. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That phrase, walk in the light, means walk in the truth that you know this is what's going to happen. Walk in that future knowledge, future truth, right now. That is Kavah Hope, family. Walking in the light of the future right now, it sets our hope into motion, and somehow it ushers in the kingdom of God of the future into the present. Now, the best part about this kavah hope, this active hope, is that it actually liberates us from feeling like we have to do everything. Right? It frees us from kind of that feeling of like, oh man, there's so much to be done before like everything's restored and redeemed. We gotta, we gotta do this. And we gotta. It actually liberates us from that. Right? Instead, it just empowers us to just do something, just one thing. Right? There's this really beautiful prayer that the Catholic bishop, Ken Untner, um, said. And it goes like this. It's really incredible. It helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it's even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that can be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. Man, that should be the mission statement of every American church. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. Instead, this is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything. Family, we cannot do everything. It's not on us to fix everything. It's not on us to feed every single hungry child. It's not on us to break every single system of oppression. It's not on us to redeem and restore everything. We cannot do everything. And there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. Because this enables us to do something and do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it's a beginning. It's a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results in this current life, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders. Ministers, not messiahs. Family, the inputs you make into the system today matter. 
set that appointment, start that business, call that estranged friend or family member. Ask that younger person if you can begin to mentor them. Whatever it is God's nudging you to do to express this kavah hope, do it with the knowledge that the fullness of the kingdom of God is coming. And what you do today matters for that. Now, in the Old Testament, there's another word that's used a lot for hope, and it conveys a different type of hope. Um, and that's the Hebrew word yahal. You kind of got to do like a little, a little back there like you're hawking a loogie. Everyone say that for me. Yahal. Right. Yahal simply means to wait for God. Okay? To wait for God. And this type of hope, this yahal hope, I think is even more difficult than kavah hope. Because our human nature, right, our culture, our society, our upbringing, like the American ideals that are surrounding us, right, everything around us tells us that it's up to humans to fix everything, right? We can solve global warming and we can do this and we can do this if humans just try a little harder and put all our minds together and if we get all on the same page and it's all about human agency, right? And Yahal hope is what happens when you've reached the end of that, when you've tried everything, when you've exhausted every single option, when you are out of effort, you are out of energy and you realize that that old phrase that we've been told, right? You can do anything you set your mind to. That's not true. And we don't want to be in a world where that is true. We cannot set, do everything that we set our minds to, nor are we created to. That Yahal hope is what happens when you've reached the end of your rope. Friends, I have a college friend that recently went through a really, really dark time. Um, her husband pretty much just got up and left and moved thousands of miles away from Texas to Minnesota and didn't really tell her why. And it was really weird and really confusing, and she was very, very hurt. And so naturally, she tried everything she could to figure out what was going on. She called out to him. She flew up there and tried to convince him to come home. She went to counseling, figuring out what it is she could do to bring reconciliation. She had people pray. She begged. And, and eventually, she just exhausted every single option she had to turn this dark situation into something with resolution. What does hope look like then? What does hope look like when human agency comes to an end? Or maybe you've been at, like, the death side of a family member, right? You've been at their bed, and the doctors have tried everything medically possible, and you've tried everything possible. You've prayed for them. You've had people come over and pray for them. Maybe you've even put, like, anointing oil on your forehead. Like, you have done everything you possibly could, and now you are tired, and you're exhausted, and you're at the end of all effort and energy. What does hope look like then? What does hope look like then? I think Yahal hope tells us what we can do. And that's express a hope that's nothing more than desperate waiting on the Lord. In Psalm 39, it says this, what am I doing in the meantime, Lord? Hoping, Yahaling, that's what I'm doing. Simply hoping that you'll save me from a rebel life, save me from the contempt of dunces. So I'll say no more. I'll shut my mouth. 
since you, Lord, are behind all this. But I can't take it much longer. Or we read about Yahal in Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping. So I hope, I Yahal, for God to help me. Or another really good example is uh, Noah. Yahal is used twice in Genesis 8. And it's this idea that Noah had just spent all of his effort, all of his energy. He's like endured all of this condescension from people around him. And he's been obedient to God and he's built this ark. Right? He's done this great like, uh, uh, you know, work of kind of human agency. And now the rains have come and he's exhausted And he's spiritually drained, right? And all he can do is sit there and wait. Wait on God. Wait for the floodwaters to go away, right? All he can do, he can't do anything else than just simply float on the water and wait on God. Hope that God is going to have those waters recede. Family, there are times that we come to when the absolute best hope we can muster up is to stop mustering up. That's, there are seasons in life where that's the hope God wants us to express. Hey, stop. Stop trying to swim in the floodwaters. Stop leaning into all this tension. Stop exhausting yourself. Stop thinking you can do it all. If you just try a little harder, maybe we'll turn this thing around. Stop doing it. Instead, shut up. Close your mouth. Desperately hang on to me. Instead, just float on top of the water. Grab onto the boat in whatever way you can and just wait. Just wait. That is Yahal hope. So family, God might be calling you to express a Yahal hope this season. Where like the psalmist, you can't take it much longer. And you have to stop all of your efforting. You have to acknowledge that You're at the end of your rope. You're at the end of your agency. And instead, you just have to float on top of the water and wait on God to arrive and fix whatever's going on. Wait for God's promise that the waters will recede. So this morning, I think, um, in this time of Advent, where we acknowledge um, that not everything has been set right yet. Christ has come. He's put things into motion. The kingdom is here, but it's not yet. The kingdom has started, but it's not complete. We still, like Paul says, we still groan in expectation with all creation for things to be made right. And that groaning, that expecting, that's hope. And which kind of hope is God asking you to express this morning? In this season of Advent, is God asking you to kavah? Is he asking you to do something? He's been nudging on your heart all season long. He's like, all right, you ready? You want to set this future kingdom into motion today? Take that call. Send that email. Or maybe God's telling you like, hey, you have tried way too hard for way too long, and you're swimming in the floodwaters, and all I want you to do is hold onto the boat and float. And you just have to wait on me. You just have to wait on me, and it's hard. 
because it means that you acknowledge that you can't do it. You can't, set, you can't do everything you set your mind to. Sometimes you just have to wait on God to make the move. So what we're going to do this morning is, um, if you feel like maybe God is calling you towards this active hope this season, this kava hope, um, I'd love for you to come over here by the wreaths. And we're just going to have people pray for you. Just say, like, yes. Like, I, God has been nudging me for a while to express my hope in the future kingdom by doing this. And I want to be obedient to that. And I know that I may not see the end results of that. I know that it may not be successful in my lifetime. But I know that the inputs I'm making into the system today are going to matter in the long run, in eternity. So if that's you, then, um, then whenever we break up here, I want you to go over there. And anyone that's over there, if, um, if you could just find someone and pray for them, that'd be great. Um, I have a feeling that a lot of you, though, are in a season where God is asking you to have Yahal hope. Where he's saying, you have tried so much. Stop. Stop mustering up. Just float and wait for me. I promise I will come. And if that's you, I'd love for you to come over here on our uh, Rwandan prayer rug. And we'll have people pray for you over there. And then there's one more. We didn't really talk about it for time's sake. Um, but I, I do have a feeling maybe some of y'all, this is going on in you. In the New Testament, the Greek word for hope is elpis. Okay? E-L-P-I-S. Everyone say elpis. Uh-huh. And elpis literally means confidence. That's what it means, right? We see it in 1 Peter 1 when Peter says, because you have been born again, you have a living hope, a living peace, a living confidence, right? And I think some of us this morning are struggling with confidence. Not, not this like shallow self-confidence. We're struggling in hoping and in, in, in having this confidence that how God made us, who we are, the gifts he's given us, our passions, our talents, we don't think they matter. We don't think we have anything to offer. We don't think God is doing something in us and wants to use us and wants to have us do something, plant these seeds, knowing that in the future kingdom, everything is going to come to fruition. And some of us are really struggling with that confidence, that living hope that, yes, because of Jesus' resurrection, I am being resurrected daily. God's doing something in me, even when I think I'm, I'm not worth much. So if that's you, then I would love for you to go maybe on those back chairs there. And we'll let people pray for you. So, if you feel like um, God's asking you to express active hope this morning, by the wreaths. If you feel like God is asking you to express, for lack of a better term, passive hope. Sabbath hope is a good, I think that's a good expression. Like, stop working. Stop trying to do it yourself. Then go over here. And if you think maybe God is trying to do something about the living hope that comes with knowing that we're being resurrected just like Jesus, that LP's hope, then go back there. And, uh, and the rest of us, we're going to minister to each other. So if you're not really sure what's going on and you feel like you just want to pray for people, then go find someone. Say, hey, how can I pray for you to express that kind of hope in this season of Advent? So we'll do that. So let me pray for us, and then please go split off if you want to. Um, and the rest of us, you're welcome. Please pray for people, but... Um, if, if you want to, you're welcome to go grab your kids and, and we can go home. So, um, let me pray. Jesus, like all of creation, we just groan in expectation of things to be made right. We long for your advent, for your coming. Not just at the end, but daily. 
We believe that you are coming daily and that daily you're resurrecting us into this future promise. And so, Jesus, um, just speak to us this morning. By the power of your Spirit, just let us know, do we need to take that step? Do we need to lean into that tension and expect resolution? Do we need to express that kind of hope this morning? Or maybe we are exhausted. We've reached the end of all of our effort and energy. And you're asking us to just wait on you, to just shut our mouths, stop trying to do it ourselves, and just hang on for dear life by floating on the waters. Or maybe, Jesus, some of us are just really, really struggling with the confidence that you created us in your image and that you made us to matter in your kingdom. Not in a self-glorifying way, but without our role in the body, the body is not complete. And some of us are really struggling to believe that you're actually working in us and you're doing something with us and you're resurrecting us so that whenever the kingdom has come in its fullness, we can experience that perfect glory. So Jesus, in whatever way you want to nudge us this morning, we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit you do that. And I ask that we can pray for one another, we can encourage one another to step into that hope, to choose that kind of hope in this Advent season. We love you. Amen. All right. So if you want prayer for expressing one of these kinds of hope, please do that. We'll put some music on. Um, If you see someone up there, go pray for them. And I love you. We'll see you at Progressive Dinner tonight.